Hello, companions in the great turning. In today's episode of Turning Season podcast, I speak with Gwyneth Jones, a work that reconnects facilitator, deep adaptation coach, writer, and gardener based in Wales in the UK. Her work is focused on how the climate crisis shows up for us internally and collectively, on how we process and adapt to rapid changes in our world, and how we can start to reimagine a world that celebrates justice and life. One reason she and I connected is that she also hosts and produces a video interview series called The Story Anew, where she is speaking to people from all around the world who are taking part in the great turning. You're listening to Turning Season Podcast, your regular dose of active hope, bringing you news and deep conversations about our adventure toward a life-honoring, life-sustaining way of being human on Earth. This show is for every one of you who's awake to our multiple crises, feels your love for life on Earth, and chooses to participate in cultivating ways of life we can believe in, making a life-honoring present, even in the face of an uncertain future. I'm your host, Leilani Navar. I'm a facilitator of the work that reconnects, an acupuncturist and dream worker, and a believer in the power of conversation. This podcast is one way the great turning happens through me. Welcome and thank you for being here. I loved hearing Gwyneth's take in this conversation on what's happening right now, especially getting into what she's noticed from actually connecting with people from around the world, not just reading about other locations in the news. And hearing how her work is influenced by deep adaptation, which I'll describe a bit more in a moment, on being a coach or a therapist who takes societal issues into account, and what it means to Gwyneth personally and as a coach for people to find their purpose or their thing or the thing they're doing at the moment, and even that tension some of us can feel between the things we do to pay the bills and the things we do because it fulfills our hearts or serves the web of life, and how they can overlap, as they do in her teaching the Welsh language and helping keep it alive. Before you hear our conversation, you might like a very brief overview of deep adaptation and the four R's, which you'll hear her mention. It's not the main subject of our conversation, but for anyone who's not familiar with this concept— the community and what's become a movement around deep adaptation, I want you to know what it is when we get there. Deep Adaptation was the title of a paper by Jem Bendel, published in 2018, and very unusually for an academic paper, it went viral. Also very unusually, it includes in it resources for psychological support for readers because it aims to take a very sober look at our ecological predicament a predicament being different from a problem or a crisis because we can't simply solve it or get through it. This sober look really puts the whole idea of sustainability into question, and instead we're invited to focus on how we want to relate to societal collapse or breakdown, which they define as the ending of modern ways of sustaining human life, how we do food, shelter, safety, pleasure, identity, meaning, and also our institutions and our social structures. So different people 
in different places in the world experience this kind of breakdown as likely, inevitable, or already happening. Jem Bendel and the Deep Adaptation community continue to live into the mission to embody and enable loving responses to our predicament. So they're taking on questions of how we understand and prepare for and live with this kind of disruption in as loving a way as possible. A lot of deep adaptation conversations revolve around the four R's, which are resilience, relinquishment, restoration, and reconciliation. Each one asks a question. Resilience asks, what do we most value that we want to keep and how do we keep that? Relinquishment asks, what do we need to let go of so as not to make matters worse? Restoration asks, what could we bring back to help us with these times? And reconciliation asks, with what and whom shall we make peace as we awaken to our mutual mortality? So if this is new for you, I will include a link in the show notes at turningseason.com slash episode 25 to the Deep Adaptation Forum, where you can explore this community further, if that would serve you. I know that I went through some painful emotions and very difficult thoughts when I read Deep Adaptation earlier this year. I knew Joanna Macy had found it important, so I wanted to read it. And after I did, I reached out to the facilitators development group at the School for the Great Turning to discuss it together, to share the processing. Relating to everything that Jem Bendel talks about together as a community was really what made me feel like my feelings were not bottomless. And I even went through that work that reconnects process with it, went around the spiral, moving through the phase we call honoring our pain. And then, as happens, if we fully enter the process, came to perceive in new ways and then found my way to go forth. So I encourage you to to seek community around all of this if you feel drawn to do that. Gwyneth works as a coach with people who are just realizing the scope of our predicament, and she's someone who has integrated these considerations into her personal and her professional life, and she is so full of vitality and love. I'm really happy to be connected with her as we all meet these times together. So let's get to the conversation. Welcome, Gwyneth. Thank you so much for joining me today. Hi, thank you so much for having me here. So let's start with some questions that are very familiar to you as a facilitator of the work that reconnects. We'll use a couple of open sentences to begin our conversation. If you want to finish this sentence, however you're called to, some things I love about being alive on earth are. Mm, Yeah. Some things I love about being alive on earth are. Well, I'm thinking first of the beauty around me in Wales, (laughs) the mountains, waterfalls, the beach, just uh, so many, you know, beautiful places to go. And um, I really love the diversity, you know, the fact that if you do go to another part of the world, even in another part of the country, sometimes you see plants and maybe birds and insects and flowers that you've never seen before. You know, even 
learning about new fruits or vegetables or grains I didn't know about before I find just really amazing and beautiful yeah um yeah and I love you know people depending on <laughs> on the people but just the the joy of connecting together and the beauty that humans can create you know the wonderful things that we can create together yeah mm, beautiful thank you and moving around the spiral then how would you finish this sentence when I look around at what's happening in the world, what breaks my heart is. Mm, yeah, it's very, um, very relevant. I mean, right now, I've just been um, reading about what's happening in the UK, in my country. And what breaks my heart is, you know, this political, I think, takeover from people who are so far right in their economics that have no empathy for for anything, you know, for people, for the earth, for the natural world. And they want to bring back fracking. They want to take away all these hard-won environmental protections. And it makes me sick, honestly. You know, this is my land. This is where I grew up, you know. The thought of it being poisoned and violated it is. It really is a part of me, right? It really hurts. And, and just... That's what breaks my heart globally, you know, just the lack of care, the lack of empathy, the, the greed, the way that there are people who can just see nothing but, you know, the dollar signs in their eyes, the, yeah, the just ways that humans can be cruel and horrible to each other. And that's what breaks my heart the most. And um, yeah, all of it, of course, you know, that's what draws me to this work. I, I'm very deeply affected by what's happening in our world myself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm with you. Thank you. Yeah, so I'll name the three stories of our time for listeners. I know you're familiar with these. And then given what you've just said and, and what you're doing around deep adaptation as a, a sort of orientation. I'd like to to hear what you have mm -hmm. to say about the three stories right now. So the three stories of our time being, you know, we can have different perceptions of what's going on in the world. And one story that people might think is the story is business as usual. We can basically carry on the way we have been and make more money and build our society and kind of a progress narrative and you know, get ahead, advance your career, this kind of business as usual thinking. And then another story, which seems to be gaining a lot of traction is the great unraveling that everything is falling apart and the social crises and the environmental crises are signs of, of the unraveling of our web of life. And then there's a third story that this is the time of the great turning, the time that we shift into a life-honoring, life-sustaining society. And all three stories are playing out and people are living into each of them in different ways. I've been reading about deep adaptation and listening to some of those dialogues, and I'm curious where you find yourself in these three stories or how you 
would even describe maybe the story of deep adaptation as yet another way of looking at what's going on. But where do you find yourself right now? Yeah, well, it's hard to to choose one in a way because, you know what I mean, they all are playing out at the same time. And I see all of them, you know, in the same moment, on the same day. I, I mean, I see yeah people clinging on desperately to business as usual right like right now um as i speak the british pound kind of tanked yesterday after um our new government's new announcements about what they were doing with the budget and now we see people scrambling trying to i think plug the holes um you know i feel like that's the metaphor i see in my mind is there are these bigger and bigger holes in the boat and people are just desperately trying to throw the water out to keep things going. And so, you know, in that too, I see the great unraveling, you know, and especially I'm noticing more and more people in my life who didn't pay attention a few years ago, even maybe a couple of years ago, they wouldn't have engaged with a conversation about, you know, climate collapse or, any kind of collapse but now they're realizing how bad things are and you know they're freaking out of course right because it's a surprise for people who have tried to keep it at arm's length for so long um so I feel like that's part of the unraveling is where no one can deny it anymore you know except maybe a very small percentage of people who are privileged enough to kind of hide in business as usual um so I see those very strongly you know and I think deep adaptation uh definitely sees the great unraveling as the maybe the strongest story uh but the difference is perhaps that deep adaptation tries to be realistic I think about where we are and you know it's it's great that we see more and more people including governments talking about sustainability and reaching net zero but I think a lot of us are very cynical about how quickly that can happen and you know will it be enough and will it really happen or is it all just talk and greenwashing so one of the narratives in deep adaptation has been you know how do we take a really realistic look at where we are and how do we adapt and that's not just about you know how do we preserve our comfort it's a big criticism of it it's also how do we emotionally spiritually you know how do we adapt to this new reality like how do we shed the programming you know that we've been given about how the world works and what we should expect from life and how do we transition into something new so you know I see that as part of the great turning uh kind of shedding the old skins you know yeah, birthing something new out of the ashes of the old. So where do I see the great turning now? Well, I I just moved back to Wales, actually. Yeah, so I've been in Prague in the Czech Republic for the last six years. And I feel there's a very big difference now in the UK um, from when I last lived here. And it might not be immediately obvious when you look at our news, but I just noticed so many groups popping up of people who want to, you know, make a difference in terms of climate change, in terms of um, 
permaculture, community gardens, people teaching others how to forage, how to, you know, relearn these ancient skills. It's like a huge, I don't know, resurgence of interest in learning like blacksmithing, for example. And there are repair cafes all over North Wales now, you know, you can just take things to be repaired. And it is in the mainstream media as well. You know, there is more and more uh, mainstream television talking about the climate crisis. I think um, Sir David Attenborough has done a lot on that so that, you know, members of the public now, not just the fringe, are aware of what's happening. And, you know, at least they're more concerned about um, plastic pollution and rewilding. You know, a lot of these things are in the public consciousness now, I feel, at least in the UK. And then globally, I've been connecting, you know, for the last couple of years, I've spent a lot of time just connecting with people online. So my my thing I do is just add people on LinkedIn who sound interesting and then say, hey, do you want to have a conversation? And that's how I decided to start this video interview series that I've been doing uh, called The Story in You, because it was really about weaving a new story for humanity. And the people I've talked to on there have been, you know, from all over the world. And so I see all these things happening that are part of the great turning. So, yeah, maybe one thing is, you know, the more the great turning becomes visible, then the harder the old system pushes back as well. So we see more extremism, more polarization, because it's kind of like, I don't know, the dying screams of an empire, you know, or those who have been benefiting from privilege, clinging on as hard as they can, getting louder and louder, getting more and more desperate. And so it can look from one angle, like just the great unraveling happening. But I think, you know, if you look deeper away from the mainstream media, if you connect with people, even just, you know, befriend them on LinkedIn, talk to them, go to events. What you hear away from the mainstream to me feels a lot more like the great turning. I just mm-hmm. don't know if it's going to be fast enough, but that's, that's part of what Joanna Macy says, right? That we don't know. We don't know if we're um, midwives for a new world or death doulas for a dying civilization but that either way the task is the same yeah yeah right I I'm thinking more and more in terms of what does a life honoring present look like because we could have all kinds of debates about what the future holds and truly none of us know so you know is it worse than we imagine is is none of this ever going to be enough um, or is it not as bad as we imagine and none of this matters? I'm losing interest in that question and more interested in, you know, like you talk about fracking and seeing the land and the life there violated. That that to me is, okay, that's not a life-honoring present. I don't want to participate in that. I want to protect against that, you know? And I'm curious to hear more about the people you've been connecting with around the world and what you've learned from that, what that's done to shape your sense of the story, because 
that's where it's happening. That's where things are changing in the present in my mind, you know, is, is all the people called to shift things in their way, in their place. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think everyone should do it. You know, it's no longer a time where, I don't know, people in Africa are just these mythical creatures you hear about on the news when there's a charity appeal. They're like people you can befriend and connect with and talk to. And I find it so surprising that most of my peers still don't realize that, you know, it's, we live in a time where we have access to this technology where we can just send a friend request to somebody. And obviously, when you're in the world of environmental activism and the work that reconnects, it gets easier to just reach out to a stranger and say, hey, because we have a shared interest, right? We have a shared common calling. You know, it's not quite the same as just trying to make friends, maybe normally. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think um, because people who are drawn to this work are maybe people who I don't know they get it you know they want to connect they want to collaborate and not compete and so people are much more open to having a conversation especially if their intuition you know tells them that you're you're good your intentions are good so yeah um, some of the people I've spoken to well you know I've spoken to people in the Democratic Republic of the Congo and Kenya and Trinidad and Tobago and the Philippines and Brazil and yeah a few countries in Europe too but I really tried to make it not you know focused on white global north people because I've found a few podcasts and video series that are about regeneration or about sustainability and it's so you know centered around anglophone white people often males and yeah you know there are some really cool guys in the space that I do want to talk to as well but I really tried to reach out to lesser known people who are doing amazing work all over the world and yeah I mean it's just very important I think to do that even if you don't you know publish your conversations on YouTube like I did I thought it might be interesting for other people to sort of watch them but I also do it outside of that and especially during the pandemic you know it was great I kind of remembered the power of the internet for connecting with people all over the world um yeah so one thing that I found really amazing from some of these conversations was the conversation about the rise of the feminine we can call it that yeah and some people talk about it as um, more of a return to indigenous ways of knowing and being in the world you know moving away from this uh, kind of masculine energy you know and these words are not to be conflated with biological sex or gender right it's more about the yin yang kind of energy but I think people will resonate when I say we live in a very masculine energy world of doing and achieving and growing and you know measuring our time right by the second and there's more of a kind of reawakening of the other side as well the empathic the caring but also the being the intuitive and 
whether you call that left and right hemisphere in the brain or you call it masculine feminine or east and west you know there, there's a lot of labels for what I think is the same phenomenon um yeah people all over the world I spoke to were kind of feeling like this feminine is rising again as a kind of counterbalance right because we've been really out of balance and that's how we've ended up poisoning our planet and poisoning our own bodies like literally right we have microplastics in our blood now but also on a spiritual sense if you believe in the soul or not you know I think we're sick like spiritually sick we're dealing with generations and generations of trauma right whether we were the victims or the perpetrators that trauma like lives in us and I think uh yeah I just feel like something huge is happening and changing you know and I think I think having the internet is a massive part of that right because isn't it just mind-blowing that we even have this technology (laughs) it is yeah yeah (laughs) yeah I I completely agree I think that whatever else is happening right now isn't it amazing how quickly we can share knowledge and make a connection and have a conversation over such great distance there's something unique and precious about our time for that alone. So I love what you're doing. I love that you have grabbed hold of that and said, I'm going to just talk to people from all over the world. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Right. It's so simple, but it can be so powerful. And um, just having a conversation with somebody from a completely different background and just seeing you know, it sounds so cliche, but like seeing what you have in common with them, sharing a common humanity with them. And yeah, I think if everyone did that, you know, that would be very, very powerful towards healing division and tribalism and all of the prejudice people have. But, you know, unfortunately, I think a lot of people, I don't know, they, they kind of have this view that people in other parts of the world are just people they see on the news or on tv but it's like you know they (laughs) you can talk to them a lot of them speak english as well of course and um they've got pretty good internet connection even out in congo now you can have a video call you know it's yeah so something i recommend but on this on the other hand of course your intentions have to be good you can't you know it can't be a sort of extractivist approach of um, taking up someone's time and expecting them to educate you, right? That's not what it's about because we've seen a lot of that also coming up problematically in the last few years with um, more awareness around racism and, you know, a lot of people kind of think, oh, okay, I need to make a friend in Africa who can teach me how to how to be and you know that's that's definitely not energy to take into it either um yeah yeah so you know I didn't have any huge ambitions with that podcast I didn't really promote it much I sometimes find some of the videos have a few hundred views which is really great and others don't have many at all but I sort of trust that people will find it and also my guests will share it with their own communities of course yeah although you know to be honest that's also a kind of energy management thing because I just 
haven't really found uh, a lot of energy and time to go around promoting that you know yeah it's a busy isn't it that we live in so yes and we have to choose (laughs) we have to choose where to put our precious energy and I know you have so many things that inspire you and ways you can participate and contribute in the world so I love that you did it and like you said you don't didn't even record them all but I can hear in in the way you're talking about these conversations that they were a very important experience and it's not meant to be that now we all go listen to you have a conversation yeah almost an example I mean although you have wonderful conversations it's also just a nudge to to have more for all of us so I'd love to hear more about some of the other things that are inspiring to you and maybe we could start by hearing what it means for you to be a deep adaptation coach and what what kind of work you're doing and and why what that means to you yeah oh yeah well it's a tricky one because not many people out there would you know know what a deep adaptation coach is so I I kind of decided to use this term just um, to help people find me if I'm honest because what I do is a lot of different things you know it's traditional coaching as well as the work that reconnects and also a lot of other things Um, so how it differs from traditional coaching is you know we're not focused on achievement (laughs) or necessarily even improvement right it depends how you define that but um, the way I've been trained to coach, you know, is that you need to make sure you end sessions with kind of goals, things for the client to do, takeaways, whereas deep adaptation coaching can be a lot more just being present with what's there. You know, in essence, a lot of it is holding space for what's there. And if the client wants to focus on something, for example, a practical side of deep adaptation, right? Like if they've been thinking about um how to become less dependent on the financial system or they want to learn some survival skills or they want to build a community then I'd use you know let's say traditional coaching techniques and questions to help them figure that out right so so that's where it can come in from a traditional coaching uh, side at the same time a lot of deep adaptation is about the emotional and the spiritual so you know I actually use a lot of the work that reconnects as well as some of the key deep adaptation questions. Uh, There are the four R's. Basically, it's sort of what are you willing to give up? What do you want to cling on to? So it's coaching through the lens of collapse awareness, you know, through a realistic look at where we are in the world and what is realistic so I don't think a normal coach is going to ask you how your plans fit in with the idea of the financial markets collapsing or you know ecological collapse for example right or bring in how your actions impact the environment or your community I mean some do and I'm really a massive fan as well of um, eco-psychology and also critical psychology and liberation psychology so I I studied psychology I'm a big academic really (laughs) at heart I just love um, critical thinking and 
overanalyzing everything. So I did masters <laughs> in um, in positive psychology, but since then I've learned about these disciplines of psychology that resonate with me so much more. So what those three I mentioned have in common is, you know, they look at it from the perspective of your client isn't broken. You know, you are not the problem. The problem, if we have to point fingers, is the system, you know, systemic issues, societal issues. Eco-psychology brings in the climate dimension as well. So kind of how can we be thriving and healthy and functioning, right, when we are living in a collapsing ecosystem? And even more than that, they take a kind of angle to say that you as therapist or psychologist or coach, you know, you have a moral duty as well to be part of, you know, changing these things, because otherwise you're just kind of milking the fact that people are suffering, right, in this society. You're just, well, not not being part of the problem, but let's say, you know, if if I'm not also trying to make the world a healthier better place to live but I am happy to take your money to talk about how that's affecting you I think that's pretty messed up so you know there's a moral duty towards activism as well towards being part of systemic change so at the same time you are kind of helping to clean up the blood but you're also going why is the bleeding happening anyway and how do we stop that from happening again and you know I see those those are some of the different dimensions of the great turning anyway right you've got kind of holding actions in defense of life which I see as the front line kind of mopping up the mess right now but then there's also the re-examining you know the foundations of our common life and shifting consciousness and perceptions and values so going back to kind of what I do with people (laughs) It really varies because I find, honestly, a lot of people come to me wanting a sort of emotional, spiritual processing. You know, they've just kind of come to realize how how bad things are, maybe, or they're feeling very overwhelmed with it all or lonely. And they just want to go through that same kind of process we take people through in the spiral, you know, and I do bring the spiral of the work that reconnects into my one-to-one coaching a lot as well which I found to be really effective and um, another theme that comes up a lot is I seem to you know we, we attract something right some frequency and so I attract basically myself which is women who struggle with self-doubt and confidence issues or with burnout and overworking and perfectionism who want to do something that is, let's say, part of the great turning, but something's holding them back, you know? So a lot of what I've done has actually ended up being helping people to tap into something deeper. So a kind of feeling of calling or duty or mission, you know? And that, that I really love, uh, say, the Bodhisattva check-in in the work that reconnects, that kind of practice really helps people feel very energized to go forth and do something rather than get stuck in you know who am I to do something or get caught up in fear of speaking out or perfectionism so I seem to be helping people a lot on that kind of front at the moment wonderful I love it it's everything you just kind of walked me through there you know ways of thinking about psychology and 
coaching that's more aware of collapse and takes that into account. And also this sort of deep ecology view as well about the callings that people have within them. And do you feel that you have found your role through this type of work? I know this is not the only thing you do in the world. And if you want to share more about peace building or Welsh language or and, and many other things that you do, maybe uh, there's room for wherever you want to go with this. But I guess I'm I'm thinking about everyone listening who's in a similar maybe place to what you just described where there's the desire to be part of the great turning. There's the desire to serve, to be part of healing and not so much certainty about how to do that. So Mm -hmm. I'm wondering if you feel like in this coaching work or in other ways as well, if you feel like, yeah, I think I know what I'm doing here. I think I'm in line with that sense of calling and purpose for myself. Yeah. Yeah. I really like this question because just while you're asking it, a lot of things opened up for me and one is that for myself, I think that TED talk about being a multi-potentialite really opened up a lot for me because, you know, there's a narrative that there's a thing, you know, it's like that Hollywood story. There's the one and there's also the calling, the job, the one thing we're supposed to do. And that if we just discover what that is, everything will be fine. Everything will fall into place. And I've realized from getting to know myself that I I get bored easily, you know. Um, I like diversity and I like novelty. And I think traditional capitalism might say that's some sort of fault or weakness. But I know that I need to be doing a few things at the same time and yet being careful not to tip too far into overwhelm and burnout. So what that means is, yes, you know, I think this and the work that reconnects is a massive part of, of my calling. I mean, I definitely felt the first time I went to a work that reconnects workshop, it was like seeing the love of your life across a room and meeting eyes, you know, it was like, yes, this, <laughs> this, is, this is, I need to do this. I need to learn this. And I knew it earlier, I even came across the term, the works that reconnects about five or six years before that, because I was researching um, nature connection. So actually for my master's thesis, looking at nature connection and well-being. And then I heard about it then. And, you know, something in me told me, yes, this. And it came back again later on. And yeah, and at the same time, I imagine if I was only doing that, I know that there would be other parts of me that would get restless. So there's a part of me that loves to write and research. And there's a part of me that really wants to be working as part of a team towards something, you know? So that can be uh, with activism, that can be getting involved with projects. I think, you know, maybe three things at once is is a good limit to have, though, because otherwise I find myself juggling too many things. Um, so for people who are asking that question, you know, like, what is mine to do? I just want to say, firstly, maybe you have multiple things to do and maybe something will be the right thing for now, right, for one year. And then maybe you'll have done what it is that you can do in that space. And if you start to feel restless 
you know, maybe don't see that as a failing, maybe see that as, okay, I've served my purpose here now and it's time to move on. You know, and I think that's okay. There's a lot of pathologizing this as a sort of, you know, ADHD or failing or, you know, I hear people of my parents' generation really criticizing this a lot, but I think we have to be very flexible and adaptable. And, you know, we might get involved with one thing for a while because we were meant to learn a certain thing or, you know, meet a certain person, and you know, follow that thread somewhere else. So I am really drawn to also uh, learning more about the physical body, like natural healing, learning about healing methodologies much older than Western medicine and not to discount some of the amazing things that Western medicine has brought us, but to, well, you know, really look at what else also, <laughs> what else might work um, for milder conditions, what might help us be more balanced physically as well, you know? So I'm really interested in learning more about herbs, for example, nutrition. And I don't know where those things will lead me but I have the feeling that they will be more and more important you know in the in the coming years yeah so I think it's part of it but as long as everything I do can be seen as part of the great turning in some way I think I'm happy you know <laughs> so so I have struggled a lot with a tagline so on my social media I'm like what do I do who am I how do I condense this into a sentence and I swear a lot of the coaching I've done seems to come from this same anxiety that we have to somehow neatly encapsulate all that we are in a tagline it's so hard you know, when you have multiple interests and <laughs> passions and things that are drawing you. So, yeah. yeah. Yes, well said. I can relate for sure. And I know many people listening can relate to it. Yeah, you have no shortage of curiosity and passion and, and just trusting that too, that it's not like a problem <laughs> to be drawn in lots of directions and curious about lots of things. It's wonderful. It's, it's so alive and, you know, it's full of vitality from my perspective to be sparked by all of these things. And then, yeah, to have a little bit of a container, like I'll be doing maybe three things at once. <laughs> That's about it at one given time, you know? So, yeah. And I, I like this sense too, that whatever we're doing can be part of the great turning. It doesn't have to be the thing that we do or our tagline or our identity could be the thing that we're doing right now, which is already a beautiful shift in consciousness because nobody fits in a tagline, even if they do have one career or one project or one passion that they're devoted to their whole lives. That's not the whole of who they are. And that limited idea that we are how we make money or we are you know what when you when you say he is a and then name yeah. someone's career right yeah. like yeah we're we're just yeah i i like the way that you're kind of watering that seed of of mm -hmm. our a bigger sense of who we are and what we're doing here and how it can all be part of if each piece in some way is part of living in a more life-honoring, life-sustaining way, then that's how we're playing our part. 
Yeah. Well, you know, I was thinking it's kind of like monoculture crops versus biodiversity, right? Because yes, <laughs> we're trying to tell people also to be a kind of mono in some way. Like, okay, you can have one job and yeah, one everything and yeah, water yourself down to fit into the demands of the current capitalist marketplace, right? Basically. And you know, if your calling doesn't happen to align with what's currently well-paying, then feel forever like some sort of failure, right? I, I wrote an article about this a while back, actually, about common myths about meaning and purpose. And I was just kind of going into this. Yeah, I was like jumping off of another article I'd read talking about the Hollywood myths about purpose. And it's kind of around that idea that there is one thing for you, that one thing happens to align with the current market demands, you know, and when you find that thing, everything will be fine and you won't have to hustle or worry again. Yeah, there's so much programming around this kind of thing. So, yeah, I think it's part of decolonizing the mind really to question these programs and assumptions we've been given about you know who we are and the limitations that we set on ourselves come from that a lot hearing you say that that this is another part of decolonizing reminds me that one of the many things I wanted to ask you about was when you mentioned teaching Welsh language as a piece of decolonization mm. you know the, the much bigger idea and and process of course of decolonization is there anything more you want to say about that yeah i i've been teaching welsh for a few years it just kind of came to me people kept asking me because i grew up in wales i speak fluent welsh and i was teaching english actually uh, for a while i still do sometimes and yeah so people kept asking me to teach welsh and I think I just realized one day that, hey, this isn't so far from my other aims. You know, this is kind of a method of decolonization because, you know, uh, my great grandparents wouldn't have spoken any English. Yeah, they've just spoken Welsh and then they were forced to speak English in schools. I think it's very reminiscent for a lot of people and um, they were you know physically punished for speaking Welsh at school they were forced to just speak English so now the result is that I don't think you'll really find many Welsh people who don't speak English right it's almost impossible to survive without it uh, there are people I know growing up who don't feel very confident speaking English you know they did it at school because they had to and then they just never spoke it again and um Yet only, uh, I think around 20% of people in Wales actually speak Welsh. So I see it as a kind of part of decolonization, you know, to reclaim uh, this language. And at the same time, that's the language I can offer, right? I, I don't speak any other languages, so that is why it's Welsh. But it's interesting because I also have people who come to my workshops uh, through Work That Reconnects who live in the states or canada you know and they're well they trace their heritage back in some way to welsh or irish or scottish so i think there's also this kind of spiritual hunger people have to reconnect with their roots you know and this is coming up more and more now i think especially as 
well, white settlers, yeah, in the North Americas feel that lack of kind of roots and identity and their own indigeneity. And often people kind of appropriate other people's culture because they feel that void in their own. But actually, if you come and take a look, you know, into the further histories of the British Isles, for example, there were a lot of nature loving nature worshiping ways of being in the world and of course you know we've lost most of that knowledge a lot of it now is kind of pieced together and reconstructed but it's well you know it's not really about trying to accurately reenact the past either it's about how do we connect with the land and connect with the non-human world right now right today But what I'm saying is, yeah, there's a hunger in people to reconnect to their own heritage. And people who have some Welsh in their ancestry often come to me, uh, whether they're seeking to learn the language or really what they're looking for is just a feeling of belonging. And I sort of saw one day, you know, the overlap between these different things I'm doing. Because for a long time I had oh, there's my teaching, which I do to pay the bills. And then there's the important work of my heart, which I, you know, build up in the hope that I can pay my bills with it one day, or that maybe bills won't be something in the great turning that we have to worry about. But yeah, yeah, I've seen these overlaps more and more now. Yeah, I see it too. That was so beautifully said. And it really ties with so much of what you've said in our in our time today about you know more diversity within language too just like everything else you know not not trying to be a monocrop of languages and not letting uh, everything be overtaken by monocropping and yeah yeah just i i'm getting I, when you talked in the beginning about having these conversations with people around the world and this sense that there's the rise of the feminine or a yin as opposed to yang or in complement to yang, that would be a better way to say it, mm-hmm. um, more earth-based, more interconnected, that that's coming up in different ways in different places on earth. If we are looking at this in a deep ecology kind of way that we're each of us is a cell in this bigger body of earth, to notice what is sprouting around the world, you know, is very, very important and very helpful to see, you know, none of us can see the whole picture. I'm just one little cell over here. You know, I have the internet, but I I can't see everything everywhere. So Mm. learning from, you know, what other people see from their own perspective, for me, that really ties to keeping languages alive because, there were things that were seen that were in a whole worldview and a whole way of relating to life that that arose in each language. Yeah, I mean, even, you know, between English and Welsh, I can say there isn't a word in Welsh that means it. You know, everything is he or she, even, you know, every creature, tree, the weather, there isn't this neutral word, whereas English brings in this way to you know, distance and dehumanize and objectify. And just, you know, that's a little example of how 
you know, language does shape thought, maybe not as much as some theorists like to say, but it definitely shapes the way we see the world, right? So yeah, absolutely. (laughs) I mean, anyone who speaks more than one language can probably tell you that they feel slightly different when they speak each language, right? It's almost like a different personality comes out. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's very common. I've heard many people say that. So like I, I've never learned another language well enough to truly say, but I, I have had basic conversational proficiency in um, Czech and Japanese. And I felt like some other personalities were slowly starting to form in there, you know? Yeah. 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 Uh. Well, wonderful. Um, before we, we wrap up, is there anything else on your mind that you want to share? Yeah, I'd really encourage people if they haven't already to get involved with the work that reconnects to try and attend at least an introductory workshop or to read Joanna Macy or yeah, if not that, then just to step out and connect, you know, with the non-human world a little bit more. So it doesn't have to mean that you go into a pristine forest, because of course, you know, many people don't have that access and that privilege, but it might mean even that you uh, spend some time just with an animal or just with a small plant, anything. (laughs) And it's, you know, it's not just about... um, yeah, it's what I'm trying to say is it's a shift in consciousness. It's a shift away from our normal way of thinking and being. And I think that's the biggest thing that happens when we do that. So actually, you know, it can be very similar when you have one plant in your office room at home next to your desk and you spend time really connecting with that as it can be if you're lucky enough to have access to go out into the wilderness Um, saying that I think you know it should be a right for everyone to have access to these untouched nature spaces but I think we're a long way off making that a reality but I think yeah I think we really need to fight for everyone to have access to those things as well um yeah I I can just keep talking forever so (laughs) it's better if I just (laughs) Um, well I love that thank you for that good invitation and and sort of prompt for us to reconnect the work that reconnects and just going out and reconnecting um, or staying in and reconnecting with what else is alive around us and with us so if people want to find you online, connect with you about coaching or Welsh or read your writing, where should they go? Yeah, you can come. Uh, so my website is GwynethJones.coach or I'm on Instagram. Um, it's Coach. I'm on LinkedIn. I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm everywhere, but those are the best ones, I think, to connect with me on. Um, yeah, my email is connect at GwynethJones.coach as well. So yeah, get in touch. Okay, perfect. And I'll make all of that easy and put links in the show notes so people can find you. Thank you so much, Gwyneth, for the conversation today. Thank you. And thank you so much for listening. 
Come to the show notes at turningseason.com slash episode 25 for links to connect with Gwyneth, the Deep Adaptation Forum, the TED Talk Gwyneth mentions, and to leave a comment on what you thought of this episode. You can also sign up there to receive emails when new podcast episodes are released and get updates from me on opportunities to do the work that reconnects with me and other facilitators. I got to participate in an in-person facilitator's immersion last month, and it was one of the most impactful experiences of my life. So, so good. I'm excited to have healing season coming up in January, where I weave the work that reconnects with wisdom from Chinese medicine for a journey around personal health and collective well-being. And I've recently reorganized the program a little bit and made the price much more accessible and made it possible for more people to join. So if you've checked that out before, have a look again. I also have coming up in the new year a DreamWork and Deep Ecology program that I'll be co-facilitating and an online book group. So sign up for emails. I won't bug you. I only send them out twice a month and you'll stay in the loop about all of this. I'll be back with a new episode on the new moon. Until then, thank you again for listening and for all the ways you play your part.